Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. In this episode, we speak to Candice Carty-Williams, who is the Senior Marketing Executive at Vintage Books and has very recently signed a six-figure deal for her debut novel called Queenie, which will be released by Orion in 2019. So Cassia and I spoke with Candice in a subterranean recording studio in the bowels of Penguin Random House UK HQ in central London. It was very glamorous. Uh, And it was a really fantastic interview. We split it really into two parts, talking firstly about Candice's work uh, in the marketing side of the book industry, and then secondly talking about her fiction and how she's got to where she is with that and where it's going. It was an incredibly candid conversation. Uh, she didn't um, spare anyone's feelings when talking about diversity in the industry, which we liked. We like honest conversations here. And uh, we know that you'll enjoy uh, listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. So if we could start with your, your publishing, uh, could you tell us a little bit uh, about how you got into, um, how you got into it and uh, what the mechanics of your, of your job look like? Uh, so my path to publishing, uh, I didn't ever think I would be on it uh, just because I was, I guess, discouraged from entering anything that was English based uh, when I was at school. So mm-hmm. I was always told I should do something uh, based around media studies or something very practical um, because I asked a lot of questions and they said, I asked a lot of questions and they said that I had behavioural issues because I would be quite challenging when I didn't think things were right. So I didn't ever think that I would be able to do something similar to this. Um, but after doing media studies at university and not really learning anything, I um, uh, did an internship at The Guardian for a while mm-hmm. and then was and then sort of fell into journalism uh, and then was like had it in my mind for I think about a year like you've kind of got to do the thing you want to do because like you know books are everything to you and they were and I was reading all the time and I was we were next to the books desk and I would steal books at the garden every single day and I would just read them on the bus home and like in one sitting and I was just like come on you have to do this um so had I applied... you been in- interested in, in English and, and reading sort of when you're younger was it you know oh, absolutely yeah. uh so I read a book a day when I was at school I used to go and oh, sit in the library all the time um and I would also ask for books by uh, writers of colour or about children of mm-hmm. colour, but I would never get that, re- that request granted because I didn't exist. Um, but I was really, really, I was a voracious reader. I loved it. I still do, obviously. I read less now because of so just life getting in the way. Um, but it's always been very important to me um, just to know about stories of other people, mm-hmm. and even, you know, fictional, non-fiction. Yeah. I love both. Um and where did you go from The Guardian? Sort of how, how did you go from loving books and loving reading to write, I'm going to go into that world and, and work in it? Uh, so I uh, got in touch with a friend who I knew his girlfriend worked in publishing. And I was sort of, it was that thing where like anything, anytime anyone mentioned publishing, I was like on social media, I was all over it. And I was like, what are they doing? How are they doing it? How did they get that job? Um, so I said to him, is there any way that I could talk to your girlfriend who I never met but ask her how she got into publishing because I really want to do that uh, and he was like oh okay well I'll just ask her a couple of questions um, and so I sort of farmed some questions through him mm-hmm. to her and uh, she put me in touch with um, Jeka who works at who worked at Melville House mm-hmm. um, and I interned I did an interview and then I interned for her for two months um, and it was quite awkward because uh, we sort of figured out that she was younger than me <laughs> I was like oh okay so I'm just uh okay it's fine I'm just I'm just getting into it I'm getting into it um 
and uh but it was a really great experience and because she was doing i guess the uk arm of like an entire publishing mm-hmm. house i got a sort of 360 publishing experience with her mm-hmm. so a bit of editorial a bit of reading a bit of sort of like running to do mail outs at like 525 mm-hmm. uh, just running to the post office and like chucking uh, books at them um and then through that i met um i i, I asked to meet someone at harper collins and i did an internship there for two weeks and then did that which is really great and applied for a job at vintage books in editorial as an editorial assistant a temporary role um and i got that magically after two terrifying interviews sort of having not done any publishing mm-hmm. at all and then sat, sat in front of um dan franklin and rachel quignoni <laughs> that was yeah i don't think i won't forget those uh, interviews but um did that and then uh, fourth estate got in touch and they said you know we do have a marketing role that we're opening up because we need an assistant and would you like to do that mm-hmm. so I went and had a meeting and then that was it and that was it for two and a half years mm-hmm. so it was a kind of um you know didn't think I'd get into it and suddenly I was like falling into all of these opportunities and jobs um I was you know working hard and interviewing but it was still felt amazing mm-hmm. to have like had no idea about the industry or how to access it at all and then sort of just be offered things left right and center it seems like everyone in media and publishing kind of has to go through the internship process first what you know what do you think about that um and obviously it's very difficult for people who don't live in in london um and and this this is an expensive city to live in Uh, what would you sort of give it what advice would you give to people trying to break into the industry and and what are your views on internships more generally well I think internships are a good thing because you do get a view and know that we are a publishing house who pay a living wage for doing Mm -hmm. an internship which I think is hugely important but at the same time if you don't have it that's a big thing if you don't Mm -hmm. live in London you don't have friends in London or family in London it's basically impossible to do that which is another barrier to entry um, for the industry itself but I do think they're a good thing but I also think that there needs to be something done about um, accessing publishing if you're living regionally because Mm -hmm. it just isn't fair because we're also the voices that we're getting still because of those internships and then who comes through eventually afterwards are so London centric Mm -hmm. and that's just not fair and not true and not reflective. Um, So I would say, yeah, they're a good thing, but I think extensions need to be made. And also I think there could be in some world, some sort of forum online where you can get um, publishing knowledge or access Mm. or like, do sort of maybe freelance work like through you know if it's if it's farmed out onto a forum like can anyone do this research maybe getting it that way like digitally rather than doing Mm it in-house and from a a personal perspective for um simon takes over um i have found that sometimes assistant roles those sort of very entry-level roles Mm. can be quite sticky i've I've perhaps um particularly for for women um because of the secretarial nature of them Mm -hmm. is that your experience no mine has been okay I think in terms of I mean I've always been very like I'm going to do what I want to do so I don't think anyone no one who's worked with me has ever been able to put me but that's just very personally no one's ever really been able to be like could you do this because I sort of like no (laughs) I guess which uh, not everyone can get away with um but I have no yeah no I haven't had that myself I've seen it happen a lot and but I think I just sort of I don't really like it's like someone always said to me don't ever get in a position where you're just making the tea mm. and I've been I've been very wary of that I think that was a good that was a good very bit good of advice from the beginning so on the podcast whoever we're talking with we always try and get a sense of, of exactly what what their job involves and their particular bit of the industry um, and I think Cassie and I both as 
as authors are really interested in in marketing. Um, so could you talk us a bit through, you know, how the marketing department of a of a major publisher works, what you're aiming to achieve, what the, the tools and the vehicles and the avenues that you can go down to do that are? Uh, so with our, so at Vintage, if we use that as an example, there are five of us, like six sometimes, because she does marketing and publicity. Um, so five of us as a core team, and we're at different levels, and we all do different sort of stratas of campaign. Um, but we do have really, really great tools. And I think the first tool that we have to advantage is we have an amazing insights team, um, and they help us figure out who exactly our audience are, what they're consuming, how they're consuming it. So that's like a research department. So it's a research department within Penguin Random House, and they have like an online space so that we can all refer to it and we basically plug all of their findings into our campaigns because they basically they have to form exactly what we're doing um and so i guess our job is to get the books to the people and that's online it's through showing them content uh visually in train stations or in changing rooms or at the on the tube mm-hmm. um and I think that's a really fun part of it. And we can also be very creative with our campaigns, which I think is nice. Um, so I guess a good example of a campaign I did um, that was specially commended for the BMS Awards was uh, For the Girls by Emma Klein. That was a paperback. And um, we did, I guess, a multi-strand campaign. So we did tube advertising, which is like a sort of classic way to approach um, the sort of release in the summertime. But we also worked with a blogger network called Style Hall for the first time. And um, we basically enlisted some bloggers to take pictures of the book so like and and sort of treat it as though it was a lifestyle object object um and then we did social content and we worked with penguin and also we do have we all have penguin which is this amazing hub like this social hub and it has like over a million followers and you have to get in a big queue to get your stuff on there so we're fighting with all the other imprints um but it's really really fantastic that's the main social media channel. so that's the ma- main yeah. channel so we have our channel so vintage is a brand so we have our like vintage brand channel so we have a vintage twitter facebook um youtube all the rest and then penguin has its own channel which is really 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 impressive and the penguin team who run that are just like hot they're incredible so we do have loads of resources sort of like back us up and bolster what we're doing and is marketing separate from publicity or are they yes yeah, so i guess well publicity is for the press and marketing is for the people is how i think about it okay. when i have to explain this quite a lot so um the press t- so the publicity team they are talking to press and they're talking to uh events and they're getting authors to talk to uh to get to be interviewed that sort of thing whereas we're not doing any of that I so see. we're just okay. talking to bloggers and booking advertising and we're trying to we're getting the word out we're designing lots of things we're designing proofs i guess like yeah we're just basically thinking about the best way to get it to the the people themselves rather than like uh, a newspaper sure and i'll hand over to cast in a moment but you just mentioned on tube advertising is mm-hmm. that for kind of particular types of books that you do that i remember an editor saying it sort of works for some but not for others yeah and also it's it's budget as well i guess so we do have titles that um we have big sales targets on and those will have bigger budgets apportioned to them obviously and with that we would think about how we would basically get it out to the the biggest amount of people and that would be usually by doing a tube or a national rail ad so if we have a book like Bridget Jones's Baby we thought because it's an older target audience and it's less urban London so that was for the that was for National Rail that was more effective to do it across the country whereas something like The Girls by Emma Klein it was like very urban London lifestyle like item like it was like sort of like an iconic piece of 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 you know a thing to have Mm -hmm. and so that was quite London based so we thought okay we'll go for the tubes with that so there are different ways of approaching it and we have again 
uh, a, media, a media agency we work with and they're the ones who sort of tell us where best things should go. So basically it's a lot of creativity in ourselves, so like designing it and having the visual, but also we do have resources that help us. Um, but we do do a lot. It's very like, it's always go, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've talked a little bit about um, just now about, you know, um, partnering with a team of bloggers. And obviously it sounds like you have a lot of access to to data and um, and, and insights. Mm. How else um, has your has the role of, of marketing for publishers changed and how is it changing at the moment? Well, I think social media is obviously the biggest mm. thing, right? Because no one had access. To that. I mean, when I first started, it was like what, four years ago. So there was it was around. There were platforms around, but I think now, in terms of accessing different people and also paying for and get paid, we basically have to pay bloggers for their for getting involved. We can't just we can't just mm. send a book anymore and hope that they post it, which is what was happening when I first started. Mm. You just send. You have a, a group of influencers, and you would say, "I'll send it," and, and odds are they'll like it and they'll post it. But now. There is no way. Everything is pay to play. So with something like Facebook, uh, you have to pay loads for advertising. Mm-hmm. And if you, um, put, you have, there are rules about like posting ads with like a certain amount of, of letters on them, mm-hmm. like or, or words that you can't. They you have to like redesign those if there are too many words. There are loads of rules basically that um, have been enforced by companies that mean that it's really hard to get o- organic content out mm-hmm. there now. Uh, so that's really really tough. So basically, you just have to. Uh, brands like that and social media sites are saying put your money where your mouth is or no one's seeing your books do you think um consumers are becoming more savvy to that kind of very you know very obviously that these these paid posts um this this the constraints that Mm. you're put under um do you think consumers are are, are getting are aware of that and, and and to what extent do you factor the consumer's awareness into what you're having to do to appease these algorithms or to mm. to to pay your way well consumers are very clever uh, so we basically we have to work with them because we know we have to and also we're consumers so we have to think about mm. how it's best to approach us so we know that through our vintage brand people don't like to be sold anything mm. so that's why our instagram and our um twitter their lifestyle so Mm -hmm. it's like we're showing you what the book is we're showing you what it's about but we're not going to put a buy link to it because we know that if you want it you will go and search Mm -hmm. for it uh so i think that's why we specifically we work with awareness as Mm -hmm. opposed to saying bye 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 because we just know that the consumers are going to say well no don't like shove Mm -hmm. it down our throats we will do what we need to do so yeah we have to we take them into consideration a huge deal because we we know as consumers ourselves what we what turns us off Mm And obviously, with social media, it skews a little bit um, younger. And and how of um, this sort of talk about youth in in publishing, how does that um, factor into to what you do and, and the mechanics of your job? Uh, I guess we're kind of. I think for us, we, we have our points of focus, but I don't think we have a very young audience. Um, but the ones that we do, we do have um, an amazing platform uh, called Penguin Platform. Uh, as part of penguin which is for young people specifically so if we do have any titles that come in that are sort of for that age group we will send them straight over to them and they do an amazing job of posting and like creating content so we had um new boy by tracy chevalier which was a retelling of othello which is brilliant and mallory blackman has written a book that was also retelling of othello and penguin platform got them together in a room to uh pick lyrics and words out of a pot and it, the game that they played was is it Beyonce or is it Shakespeare so they do have amazing so Penguin are, are just incredible at having ways of reaching all of their audiences so and also that's a resource for us as well so it's absolutely amazing 
You alluded earlier to sales targets for books, and I was yes. wondering for how is that standard with every title that you've got a, a sales figure that you're aiming to get to, or yes. do things and, and how often do things hit that, and do things drastically go over or under sometimes as well? What, think, what is your sort of metrics for success as a marketing department? I think for us, we are quite lucky because we uh, we're measured by sales, but also we like to be measured by awareness too. Uh, so a book that I'm working on at the moment that's just come out is called Cuz. It's by Danielle Allen. Um, it's a really beautiful memoir about. Uh, a, it's written by Danielle and her cousin Michael was. Uh, in and out of the prison system for years and then he was found uh, dead wrapped in a duvet in a car and <coughs> I um, have worked closely with her and with a designer to create lots of assets and for me it might not sell a million copies but to see it around and to have it on Emerald Street and to have people talking about it and bookshops emailing us and requesting copies that is I guess a metric of success for us awareness is such a big thing because as a as vintage we also have a huge like, extensive backlist and so much of that also carries us through which is great um but sales, so every single book will come with sales targets and the way that you can justify spending x or y on a book is because you can say well i think it's going to hit this and then off the back of that you can say okay well then it should hit this and it can earn out and how are the sales it. targets calculated? One thing I was told when my book was being sold was that you know the bigger your advance is good for you as an author, but also because the publisher will have a greater incentive to mm -hmm. market and to push. And um, what are the factors that go into finding those numbers for targets? So mainly it's comparison, it's comparison titles, and it's them sort of running. It's like so it's comps basically, yeah. and it's them also thinking about other books in the market and what they've done, um, and other authors similar in the market what they've done. So it's basically a lot of guesswork and a lot of uh, okay this might do this because that did this but it was a different climate maybe so it's just a lot of a I mean it's a lot of a yeah are there some recent examples of books that kind of smashed their targets or were you know changed the game in what was expected uh, so we uh, I guess Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari is one book that we published two years ago and it's been number one or two for the last like eight months or so okay. and so that yeah, so any of the targets that I had in like hardback, paperback, we've surpassed those. I think it's just uh, actually that's no, really confidential, but I th there are loads of um, <laughs> you'll find out at some point soon. But um, yeah, so I think that is one example that we're just sort of like absolutely amazed that it just keeps cropping up in um, like the number one or two TCM. Just given that like we kind of it was published and then it was like okay, great, that was done, and it's had its moments advertising. But it's continued. Then it had like a, it just was like very quiet, and then it's just kind of had a resurgence. So, the so is there uh, like a, a kind of life cycle for your for your program that when a book comes out, you're it's it's on your team's desk for a year, eighteen months, or something like that, and then uh, depending on. on the book. Uh, so I, for example, will get a book in, and then I will say it's coming out. So I'll, I'll be allocated the book and say it's coming out in eight months' time. I will start planning my campaign and then I'll work with the publicist and we'll think about the press that they're targeting and then we'll see how my marketing can align with like pieces that are going to be in You Magazine or are going to be in, I don't know. Um, and then once we have, when, that we'll get to like two months in and then two months to go and then we'll start like building it up and ramping it up and getting it out there. Um, and then on publication, we make a big noise about it and then we support it in the way that we can. But we also have other books going, so I can be doing this for like five books at a time. Um, and then we're kind of looking at, we're just kind of like, it's kind of easing off, I guess, just because other titles are coming in and we're always working on different things. But we're always keeping an eye on opportunities um, and things we can do to keep the book afloat if there are like key moments, I guess, like in the cultural calendar that like 
would work. Um, Is there a distinction between how it works for fiction and non-fiction? Yeah, so I guess uh, a lot of it will be uh, the places that are approached for press reviews and also the influencers, influencers that we talk to and also sometimes the brands that we talk to. Um, so there is, I think, I guess there is a big, dis- yeah, there is a big distinction yeah. because also like we just have to know it's about the audience as well. Um, and I guess we can also use our insights team to see like the best brands or the best newspapers that mm. non-fiction readers like and fiction versus fiction readers. So... And this is something we were joking about beforehand, but um, I have to choose a headshot for my book, and was oh, kind of agonising nice. about this. Are there any are, are there any like secrets as to what makes a good author's headshot? I would, that, I it, couldn't it, tell you okay. from myself as, like, as good with my headshot. I don't know. I've seen many. I mean, do something different because we see so many that you know. There's, there's a story out. I was told that when, when Cormac McCarthy wrote All the Pretty Horses in the early 90s, he was photographed by this one American photographer like sitting on his porch looking very silver foxy and then every American <laughs> novelist for the next decade like wanted the same kind of photo. That sounds him. about right. Yeah. You could, yeah. Can you do something similar? Well, probably not, to be honest. I mean, you can only work with what you've got, right? So. Oh, God, you're going to be so to blame when... <laughs> I'm going to be very, very happy of Simon... <laughs> Reclining. Oh God, I dread to think. Uh, I've got that to look forward to. Um, what is it uh, as a sort of a, a marketing professional that you want um, from authors, and, and how do you see your relationship with them? And what are the things that you really like uh, about working with authors? And and where are the the moments where you just want to you know smack them around the, the head a little bit? Um, I I do like working with authors. I mean, in marketing, you don't necessarily get to work with them a lot mm. because like publicity, they all like spend time with them like on the road doing doing tours, doing press stuff, doing TV. Um, whereas we're kind of in the office and we're sort of saying, okay, well, we're just designing an ad or like we're thinking about like where to place the book. Um, but I like to sort of get in touch quite early on and say, you know, like, hi, I'm working on your marketing. I loved your book. Like, how can we help you? What social media channels do you have? Like, would you like to write some pieces? Like, what can you do? Um, so it's always really helpful if an author... It is helpful if they have a social media presence. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to make the book, but it's good for um, it's good if they can engage with their readers. That's always mm-hmm. really nice. And also, if they can share updates about what's happening, press press stuff they're doing, like special announcements, like pieces they've written. It's always good for us to have that um, as a sort of platform for them to talk to the readers themselves mm-hmm. because like the readers don't necessarily uh know what an imprint is or like how to find vintage. Like it's you know it's not like imprints and stuff. They're so clear to people who work in publishing but mm. if you're not you don't know what you don't care what an imprint <laughs> is what a logo is um so there is that so good to be on social media i think it's really really helpful just to have like your own voice mm-hmm. um and i think it's quite hard with authors when you set i guess like partnerships up and they're just like oh i just don't really fancy doing it mm. or you say like okay well could you write a piece and they say like oh, i don't really want to write a piece and it's kind of like you know we're trying to help you I haven't had it I mean in marketing you never get anyone or anything that's that that bad mm-hmm. uh, just because we don't have any like must-haves mm-hmm. um I think it's in press in in publicity where they sort of come up against that so mm. I'm lucky to have stayed out of it because I don't think I would be very well behaved <laughs> um, I'm pivoting seamlessly from your role in publishing to uh, the fantastic news congratulations by Thank the way about uh, your your novel that will be coming out I believe in 2019 um, with Orion yes long way away uh, well long way away I know, in, I know. in publishing we'll... terms it, <laughs> yeah. it, it creeps up fast um, what can you tell us about um, your novel uh, so my novel was, I guess, born out of 
frustration on my part of like working at two publishing houses, I guess, and uh, reading books and sort of realizing that it was like kind of it, they were great. I've read some amazing things. I worked on some incredible things, but I was just like, there's representation lacking hugely of, I guess, any character who is non is non white. Like mm. I'm still, it's really, it's still very tough. Um, in the market uh so and also just sort of like having grown up reading like Bridget Jones's diary mm. and Diary of Adrian Mole and uh just being like oh just always like trying to find myself in these books I remember I read uh, the George Nicholson series by Louise Renison who's an amazing author who passed away not very long ago well um and I adored everything I, I read every single word she wrote but this series was amazing and I loved it so much because Georgia was like white and growing up in Brighton and she had a big nose and I was like oh great there's something I have in common with her mm. and even though she hates her nose I was like great and, and it was just you know I got older and I was just like that's bad like this mm. is how like we're, we're even we're trying to like hold on to bits of people who don't like parts of themselves like you know mm. that can't be right so um, I had a think and this character was kind of brewing and knocking around in my head um, and then I just went away um because Jojo Moyes, amazing author um, and friend, she did a call out on Twitter and said, you know, I have like a cottage. I I'm, want to give it to someone as a writer's retreat. Mm -hmm. and, and I applied and I said, look, I work in publishing, so you don't have to give it to me. But I but I would love to be able to represent mm -hmm. someone like myself because it hasn't been done and it's not being done. I don't really understand why it's been done, not being done. And um, a few months later, she got in touch and said, OK, well, okay well when can you come and I was like oh my god thank you so much so it got there and then just like it just all kind of came pouring out and then I left after a week I'd written 30,000 words oh my goodness. which kind of like has mm. changed form over time um but I then worked on it uh, every single weekend so I just like locked myself away mm -hmm. from Friday to Monday and um then in April I was like okay I'm gonna try and share it and then um yeah, that's kind of it. I just, I guess it was, yeah, it's just, mm. it's a character who basically is, I guess, imagine if like Bridget Jones was around now and she was younger and she was mm -hmm. black and she was having to navigate okay Cupid and a workplace. Mm. And I guess like loads of, you know, loads of stuff that's happening now with like mm. um, discrimination and Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and all of those things that are really important and people don't like touching hair, like all of those things mm. that people don't. I really understand still um so that's that's i guess what it is and the, the character is is called queenie uh, she is as as is the book yes, yes so we can look forward to that in 2019 but i want to go back to something that um you said earlier that i think is really interesting you said that you just don't see um people uh you know uh, black people in novels and, and haven't as you're growing up why is that and and why has that persisted until now uh, because of the industry and and what is it about the industry i mean could you talk a little bit more about that i mean yeah well it just looks in on itself mm. it just i guess it's it's still made up of people who are publishing who have been around for a long time and are happy to publish the same thing mm -hmm. and when things come in that are different they're so unsure about it that they just back away mm -hmm. and it's easier i guess to just say like oh well maybe oh someone else will pick it up or mm -hmm. it's just not for me it's not my taste and i think I appreciate that editorial they have to be tastemakers and they have to work mm -hmm. on something that is drawn to them and I think it's a huge problem that there are very very few if not you know like a handful mm -hmm. of editors of colour across publishing in the UK um, and that that's that's it in a nutshell there are just that there aren't the people around to sort of be pushing this change through um, which is why when I was at Fourth Estate 
I started a short story prize for mm-hmm. to sort of try and redress this and just kind of I realized also that agenting is like a agents are like a, mm-hmm. a barrier to entry yeah. as well because uh people don't even know what an agent is I guess uh so I thought well, can there be something where someone might have ideas or like a short amount of work like because you know people have got like jobs and people mm-hmm. have got things to do um so where they can just submit like a sort of 8,000 words of, of what they've kind of got or what they had sort of percolating and then we could see them and we could choose a winner and we could get those names out there through a shortlist um and that went really really well and I'm very happy with that and I think one the best thing about it for me is that three of the shortlisted authors I think are agented at this mm-hmm. point and one of them his book just came out with um Tinder Press so it's really re- it's really really great to see these things must be really exciting and it, it must be doubly exciting for you both to have seen it from the publishing side and now also <laughs> to be uh, living it as a writer and to be proving proving appetite with well, your own work. It is very, it's really, really nice. Uh, mm. And it's a really nice thing that it was so well received. Um, and also that I have an amazing agent who was also very, very supportive and very confident when I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm still not sure because, you know, I've seen these things come and go and I've seen them in acquisitions and, you know, um, but I've always, but she's always put me on the right track and just been like, no, no, you've written a good thing and we're going to get it done. So it's been really, really great. Can we talk a bit on the, the real nuts and bolts of the writing process now with yeah. some other novelists that we've had on? Um, Kieran Millwood Hargreaves talked about a distinction between those who plot in advance before starting and those who kind of plunge in and then see where it takes them. Which mm-hmm. which of those two camps do you the latter? Yourself? Yeah, I can't plot okay. anything. Like, I can't even plot my day. Like I just it's not it's not it's not something that I do. But I just um, I guess yeah, it's, it's just I had a lot of like thoughts and feelings and experiences of me and friends and I just kind of and family and I just kind of was just like okay, I've got to get them out somehow and then like had to do that and then I guess like shape it into a narrative as it was going along but I knew what I wanted to say and I knew the themes I wanted to explore and they happened to come out and I had to sort of like not knock them into order and what's the voice is it third person or first person uh it's uh first person okay so I- it's a sort of yeah it's like an inner narrative of this like yeah just trying to just straddle these two worlds and like failing and were you were you certain it was not a novel when you started or you you mentioned autobiographical elements here did you feel it could have been memoir or was this definitely a novel Um, from the get-go no my life isn't exciting enough to have like turned it into anything but there were just it was just things that I'd I guess like there's a lot of family stuff in it and my family aren't like the family in the novel my family are, are very different um and I guess the French stuff is just like snatched of things I've heard and like things I've heard on the bus and like things I've heard girls talking about that I've just been like, this is the stuff that we need to hear and the stuff that we need to know. So, yeah, she's not, sadly, she's not me because I'd have a hell of a lot more fun. And, and in terms of routine, say. you said you had this very intense period initially in the cottage where you did 30,000 words. And then were you, you were writing at weekends or how were you managing your time between your, your work at your day job and the the writing so I would um yes I would very much leave work on a Friday my work from Monday to Friday I would leave work on a Friday go to the shops get my supplies in and then I would just lock myself away and I would use my phone that was allowed like phone I like to write to music I like like as loud as possible and like loads of distractions like music could be on tv could be on like headphones on I want everything going because it kind of I listen to a lot of grime when I write because the energy like keeps me like 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 banging loads of words out. Um, and then on Monday morning I would just go back to work and I would just do the same thing like rinse and repeat for like. How long did that go on for? 
um, a few months, a few months. It's interesting, um, and you found that easy. I mean, I've I've tried to sort of balance desk jobs with writing, and the way I've tried to do it is is to get up early in the morning, go to an hour Monday to Friday, because yeah, I feel yeah. if I if I do seven days and have no time off, I'll I'll just get very flat very quickly. Yeah. Um, no, I I can't do early mornings either, so I'm not awake till about eleven thirty. Um, but I do write at night, so I guess like my time. Sometimes I'd write midweek if it took me, but I would also be very tired because yeah. uh, of work, and I would know that. I'm not going to get the best out of myself if I'm knackered. There's no point in just like sitting in front of a laptop and being like, must get like a thousand words out. But there's, because they're going to be a thousand words of shit. So, you know. And what was your revision or your revising process? You worked full to the end of the first draft and then. Full to the end of the first draft. And then I gave it to four friends and I asked them to read. And I said, I don't want you to tell me what's good or what's. Th-. I just said, I need critical points like structure, what should change, what doesn't make sense. Like, have I named, have I said someone's name is like Tom here and it's like Derek there? Like, you know, just I need to know that stuff. Um, and then I got all of their notes back and put them into a color coded document. And then I worked through those and then had a sort of second draft when I went, so I went away again to do that. Um, but yeah, I took it, I took the revision process very seriously. And I do like edits, and I like to sort of. I like to be critical about what I'm doing. And in terms of the the fact that you were working in publishing when you mm-hmm. were going through that process, what what bearing did that have on the process? I mean, because you said that, you know, in, in many ways you felt you were an outsider to the British literary establishment, but also mm. you were working in a major publishing house uh, as it was this was going through. It was really terrifying because you, I knew that when I was uh, talking to my agent about who we were sending the book to, it was all people that I've, I guess, like some of them I've met, some of them I've seen, some of them I will see, some of them I've seen since. And some of them have said, you know, it wasn't for me and it's gone to the right place. And you have to just be like, OK, yeah, yeah, great. But like rejection is rejection and rejection is a part of writing like in a, in a huge way. And I don't mind it, but it's still kind of it's still terrifying and like it makes you quite vulnerable to be like, OK, so I'm going to put myself out for rejection um, because even though it's OK, it's still not not nice to be like oh you know of like five people that read it like three just it wasn't for them Mm -hmm. you know I guess like you've just kind of got to work with that so you already talked about how your agent was sort of um not hand-holding but basically you know reassuring you at moments when you were um feeling hesitant about your work Mm -hmm. can you talk us a little bit um talk a little bit more about the sort of the business end of the of the selling the manuscript and, and you say you know putting it out there how did that actually work for you in in practice uh so we sat i sat with my agent joanne Wynn. we sat um and uh we did, had a list of editors and the publishing houses and we went through and said okay they'd like it okay would they want to read them you know mm. so and so forth and again um, these are people you you might know and and, yeah. and you had a presumably a very good idea of what imprints it might sit with yeah and some people asked some people some editors i'd met had said oh my god you're writing like, i'd love to you know like put mm. me on the list so we did that as well um and that was kind of you do that out of courtesy but knowing that they're not gonna mm. but it doesn't matter yeah. so there are a few that you just kind of like throw it to to be like okay there you go um <laughs> so did that and then she said and my agent said okay so we're gonna do this now so I'm gonna make my phone calls and then I'm gonna start sending it out do you want me to let you know like of the big things that happen or do you want me to do you want me to let you know everything and I was like I don't know just let me know the big things and then after day I was like maybe just let me know like you know just kind of tell me so then she ended up like literally drip feeding me like every single thing that everyone had said um but like I guess like it was quite it was quite good because I you know I think that was quite good for me to like know what was happening because I was because I am in the industry and I do know. So I think it would have been weird of me to sort of just like step back and her turn around and say like, okay, so now you have like X amount of meetings. I would have been like, okay, mm. why? What did they say? Like, what did they think? And who's going to be, who's your favourite? Um, 
and then uh, then so once those had been done so like but and then we you know had like meetings in and like offers in like mm. first offers and then had a week of meetings and by the end by the friday when i didn't have any meetings it was really i was really overwhelmed mm. um it was i felt very shell-shocked i was quite shaky mm. i was quite i it was it's really really stressful it's, it's and you're kind tired of an on, as it's well a, it's an onslaught in a yeah, way exactly. and, and also you you don't feel you have control because you've got these meetings and yeah. and how many publishers were were sort of really interested in and in, in making offers that you were seriously so four wow so i had to do four meetings across four days um which and they were amazing they're really great but you have to be on mm. you have to be like, and you you are you are excited mm. but also it's terrifying yeah. to like sort of leave an office and see like people you've worked with and have to be like oh hi can I talk to you because you're working and I've just come in a weird capacity mm. so it's a really really um and yeah you just also you don't want to let anyone down you kind of want to be like you can all do it because mm. you know it's like really amazing to sit in a room with people who have read your work and who care about your work mm-hmm. and who have had like uh, an amazing connection with it even though it's not about them so mm-hmm all of the publishers who all the editors who were in for it were white women mm-hmm. um but they all said in a way that it just spoke to them and that was amazing for me because mm-hmm. i didn't write it it's for everyone this book is for everyone it's not for a specific group of people it's just so that black women can have a space finally mm-hmm. and be like okay we're here but you can all read it or you can all watch the story um so it was so yeah you did there was a thing of just wanting to like please everyone and be mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm so touched that you all liked it in this way yeah it was really really it was really hard. It was a really, really hard mm-hmm. thing to do. It was like one of the hardest processes ever. One of the things that we've both heard, which I think has surprised both of us, is that some people worry about getting too high in advance because it can kind of, um, it can, it can kind of be a millstone. It, has that been your experience? Um, no, I guess I haven't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. But also that like, I'm not from a family or like place where we've I've ever had any money. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just that like, I'm just being sensible. I'm just like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, I do, it's it's more like I just kind of, it's like a it's like a good thing. An advance is a good thing, and it's also good to show that these stories are worth that sort of money. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the way that I've seen it. But I don't think of it as a negative or any sort of impairment and did your experience sort of in a marketing um, capacity at a publisher affect how um, you kind of went through the business of selling your manuscript and, and how you thought about eventually you know partnering up with Orion to, to release that your book to the world well I guess I see because I, I, I see like marketing campaigns mm-hmm. I see what's what the noise is around and I remember um I was pleased that Aram were in the mix because uh, last year, like one of the biggest books of the book fair was mm-hmm. the Lido, uh, and Orion are publishing it, and I was like, okay, 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 that's really good. So I was really, really excited to like have them in the mix because I was like, I've seen a lot about. There's a lot of noise made when they acquire something when they work on something. So I thought if they're involved, that's really, really good. But yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm just because I'm seeing the the landscape. I'm sort of thinking about where is where is best to be, where is best to go, who's who's going to make a big shout about something. Uh, just a follow-up question on some of the mechanics of the sale. We, mm-hmm. you know, Our experience with doing this is with, with non-fiction where it goes on proposal, but mm-hmm. were you sending the full manuscript? Out, yes. Or was it a section? And I don't know, the entire thing. So it was just like, here's the story, enjoy. So like okay. a full, like, yeah, 262 A4 pages as a PDF. And had that been, had, had there been a big editing process that you and your agent had gone through on that, or was it relatively, how earlier, how similar to a published novel will that be, do you think? Uh, well, I've got. To, I'm yet to get my notes. I'm really worried about that. I'm getting them at the end of the month from my American and US, uh, my American and UK editor, who have 
had a chat about what what they want to change. Um, but when I gave it to my agent, she said, "There's going to be work. There's always work." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I didn't mind that." So we, um, she had a bit of time, and she sent me her. I sat down with her, and she sent me her notes. Sorry, I sat down with her, and she gave me her notes over lunch, um, and then I just took those away and worked through those um, over a couple of months. So it was kind of like reading them, digesting them thinking about how I could mould the story to fit what she was saying and also I really trusted her and I trust when I get notes I trust them because they're trying to make the book the best it can be if there was anything like very extreme that I didn't want to change I wouldn't change it but there was everything that was said I was like yeah you know what you're doing so I'm gonna trust you on that how had you got in touch with your agent initially how had that relationship come about uh, so I had admired her for a really, really long time because she used to do this thing maybe three years ago um, where she were, she had this little blog and she said, um, I'm an agent and I walk my dog on Brockwell Park at nine o'clock on a Friday morning. If you want to come and you want to chat to me and you want to get advice, do. Um, and I just thought, that's amazing. You're putting yourself out there physically and saying to people, if you need my help, I'm here for your D- help. Does she have a large dog? Um, her dog is very lovely. It's not that it's a nice dog. It, it, it would protect her from any harm. Um, so, and I just thought that was amazing. I just thought as an agent, that's such an amazing thing to do. Um, and so I followed her, but I followed her for years. And then I tweeted. Not literally. No, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Uh, and then I tweeted. Castor and I both, um, both live near Brockwell Park, so we're, ah, we're familiar with the territory. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I tweeted that I'd finished my manuscript, and she sort of slid into my DMs, and she said. I'm very interested. And I was like, oh my God. And I'd never met her. I just sort of had admired her like continually for many years. And um, and I said, is this a joke? And she was like, no, can you just get on with it and send it to me? Um, and then that was it. So basically I sent it to her and then she said, I sent it to her on Thursday and Friday she said, can you come into the office on Monday? And I went to the office and before I sat down, she was like, I want to represent you. And I was just like... What's her name? Uh, Joe Unwin. Okay. Um, yeah. And just a couple of the technical things. Was the American sale at the same time as the British? Did that run in parallel? Yes, same time. And the TV stuff? Did we use sending to TV people initially, or how uh, did that? No. So the American stuff. So there's like sort of an American agent who's working on behalf of, jo- so working with Joe, I guess, Deborah Schneider. It's a very American name, um, and she was sort of doing her book selling stuff while Joe was doing the stuff here. So the American, uh, it was a preempt from Simon & Schuster, uh, from an amazing editor called and you, you went with Callahan. The yeah, at Scout Press. Um, so I had, yeah, we were just sort of, yeah, it just came in and it was like, oh, okay, sure. And it all went quite quickly, but I spoke to her on the phone and when I was talking to her, I felt like she was my editor. Like the way she was talking to her, I was just like, come on, like she's kind of, mm. she just gets she's it. Um, yeah, so... Um, Bef- and then I got an email that said from her that said, so you're going to go with me? And I was like, oh, sorry, I assumed. I said, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, of course. Um, and then the UK sale, I had more meetings to for the UK stuff. So actually the American was done before mm. the, the UK. Um, and then the TV stuff is ongoing now because then I, can, I guess it kind of starts going out with a TV agent. Mm. So there are many agents to this. And you um, you alluded earlier to you know who you feel your readers are do you mm-hmm. can you speak about that a bit more broadly do you have do you have someone in mind when you were writing it do you and where i mean suppose from from a professional marketing pitch where is it who's it going to be marketed towards uh well it's a commercial book I, I wanted it to be as commercial as possible because i wanted it to be as wide-reaching as possible because i think that you do get these amazing amazing uh, books written by authors of color but they're quite often literary and they're quite small um and so i wanted something that would sit 
on like the commercial shelves and like it would be in the supermarkets as opposed to just being in like Waterstones or you could find it on Amazon. Uh, so in terms of my readership, I hope it's like lots and lots and lots of women who are like 18 to 50 or beyond. Like it doesn't just really... Women. Or men. I mean, uh, the the film guys who I've had to meet are all like, Candice, you're making us feel very guilty. Um, so I don't know if maybe, but you know, it's not close to anyone. But I guess like when you think, when I think about the audience, it's going to be, it's called Queenie. I feel like it's going to be a woman who's going to pick it up and buy it for herself or for her like daughter or friend. And you, you mentioned that growing up, you felt that there were not um, experiences that, that related to yours that were reflected in, in the books that were being published. Do you feel that there is a, a, a kind of growing uh, black or ethnic minority readership in the UK what's on, on the readership side how do you see that picture? I don't think it's a growing readership I think we've always been here we've always wanted stories and we've had to read stories that aren't about us okay. um, so I don't think it's growing I think it was always in existence but I think maybe now we're making strides to in publishing to cater to those audiences uh, one of the things uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it in this um uh, story going around on social media about um, an author who um, submitted a manuscript to a publisher mm. and <laughs> so bad it's yeah, terrible exactly what you're gonna say <laughs> um, I've got, we're gonna have to link to this in the show notes because maybe people won't know what we're talking about but um and this poor um author received just some uh astoundingly insensitive mm-hmm. um comments comments back um obviously you have seen it for yourself on the publishing side now you're writing a book that has you know a a, a black character in it and you're presenting it to a very white publishing industry a very establishment publishing industry has have you seen any effects of that it doesn't sound it sounds like your publishing experience has been very positive but they've been quite lucky (laughs) but could you talk a little bit more about that and and about you know just the groan said so much Uh, I think it's awful I think again it goes back to my point that we need people of colour to be in publishing houses because if, if there were, then that wouldn't happen. Mm. And I think we... It's just so obvious that there is a diversity within diversity, I mm-hmm. guess. Like the term diversity is a bit of a funny one, but I think there are a breadth of characters within like one ethnic group, mm-hmm. and I think that needs to be understood. And I think that people who... Are, I think it just it's so odd that that is not... Like, understood... You know, like, you know what I mean? It's it feels like, like it's kind should of be like obvious. mind-boggling that, yeah. that that comment was even made and that that should be that should be in someone's head at all so i guess yeah i don't know i i have no yeah you're good to speak yeah yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> well hopefully hopefully uh the publishing industry is on the way to never sending out an email like that to an author ever again yes. uh we have completely run out of time and our, our producers are going to kill us but um uh i think oh yeah on the list okay back to simon okay, okay. Um, the, one more question, or actually one and a half. Um, one point that just on the marketing stuff we talked about earlier, one thing that, that we've talked among ourselves is the the expectation that authors should produce um, work for free for newspapers and periodicals as their book is coming out as a kind of marketing. It, it, does that fall under your remit or under publicity? And what, what's is that very standard? Well, I think even on the publicity side, I don't think that's not something that we would. That's I think our authors get paid. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. No. no. Oh, okay. It seems That's... that there's quite a, a wide, and this is this is coming generally coming from the the newspapers and Cassie maybe has more experience. Uh, so it's it's definitely not everyone, and I and I think as a, an author you can be uh, you can just push back on, on on this, but I think there is definitely an expectation that if you write um, articles um, to promote the book, uh, mm. that you won't get paid for those articles. Um, 
which to me as uh, a, f- a freelance writer and this is my job seems um very odd and uh we were we were hoping that now you are that firstly you'd have come across across this because you're looking at me sort of like with blank horror but secondly that now as an author that you might have a a sort of an answer to that because I was really shocked when I started getting these kind of requests to write articles for free because obviously you want to help out mm. your publishing and 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 marketing teams that's something you want to do as an author you want to yeah. you don't want to make their lives difficult but at the same time the principle of it is that you, I don't feel that like you should be doing work for free do you have have you had an experience of that and, and what are you going to say when it happens no I just don't <laughs> think that's but that's I just don't think that's right and that's not fair mm. I mean I wouldn't um write a freelance article for free and that's basically what it boils down to yeah. I think there's a, there's an expectation of like you know you can do this x for exposure and that doesn't no. that's not a, that's not a real thing I think mm. it's really insulting um because it's my if writing is your craft then yeah. you need to be paid for it in any capacity that you do it in I wholeheartedly Gosh. agree <laughs> yeah the horror um and the final thing was we we wanted to know about your future plans you know both in terms of uh fiction writing and and perhaps in in the work you're doing as well in publishing uh, so publishing is, you know, I'm really, I'm enjoying what I'm doing loads. I really, really do like my job. I think Vintage is a great place to work. Um, and so I hope just to continue on there working on really great campaigns. And I'm learning loads because I do have an amazing, amazing manager. She's called Chloe Healy. She's a head of marketing and I've learned so much since I started working with her. And I do catch myself being like, oh, what would Chloe do? How would Chloe approach this? Just because she's so impressive and she's so good at like the 360 publishing experience so working here is really great um uh and i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep doing some writing let's see what happens when the book comes out um but i've got a long time is it just a one book deal initially um yes okay (laughs) um so yes i'm gonna do that and then i'm gonna see what um see uh, what what takes me next but i would like to um for the film stuff I've been asked if I would do the screenwriting for the TV show and it's kind of like actually I would really like to do that so I just have to see what happens in terms of time but for the full-time job it's uh it's looking unlikely that I can do that brilliant well look thanks for um being such a star guest and taking us through so many different areas and wishing you all the best with the book and the other projects hello it's us again with a swift update from our lives Cassia what have you been up to I have been bemoaning uh, the lack of books because I'm still not living at home. I'm still living camping in my dad's house. It should be said that a poor tradesman uh, used the wrong shade of paint during the great works and now he faced the wrath of Cassia. Uh, not wrath. He, he did, in fairness, mix the colour and it looks beautiful, uh, but he supplied a completely different colour. So, so <laughs> he had to die, is what Cassia was saying. <laughs> no, there, was no, there, was no, there was no death, Simon, uh, but... Uh, but yeah, it's been repainted uh, the right colour now. Colour is important, as as, as we all know. Um, but I've also, uh, as well as um, doing the, the boring stuff of, of repainting homes, I've been doing some publicity work for the secret lives of colour in America, including um, a, a radio spot for Marketplace, which is very exciting, and and, a, and a film for CNN, and a little a little short um, with CNN uh, talking about Vantablack, the world's blackest black. 
Um, I have been working on my book manuscript, which uh, has continued to be hard work, but I feel uh, I've been making good process. Uh, and we're in the final, the final stretch. Of the first section. Of the first section. <laughs> I mean, that, that's worth celebrating. Of Cheers six. to that. Um, Cassius <laughs> bemoaned me for my lack of energy. That's why. Um, I've also, uh, I'm off to Africa uh, just next week to uh, try and write a magazine piece for Harper's, which should be cool. So I've been in the delight of getting visas. This episode of Always Take Notes was produced by Olivia Kralin, Ed Kiernan and Liz Davies. Music was by Jess Danheiser. And we've been your hosts, Simon Acom And Cassia Sinclair. We're on all manner of social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Always Take Notes. We're on Twitter at Take Notes Always. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to have you back with us next time. <laughs>